Welcome back to another episode with Posting Up with Keith Smith, that's the legend to my right, and Adam Taylor, that's me with the bluish room. We're back for our third episode, uh, slowly, slowly moving along. The season's going a lot quicker than what we are, but when there's literally over a thousand games a year, it's going to move faster than what we are. <laughs> Keith, man, I know you said uh, before we started recording, you're operating on like two hours of sleep. How, how's it going? Yeah, these West Coast games are, are brutal because you know we're up late by the time you finish all your post game stuff and all that and then and then i'm up early i i I have campaigned unsuccessfully to have school switch to a later start when uh boston's out on the west coast but but it is what it is you know we'll we'll take it the celtics are good there that's why i'm unshaven and in a hat because uh it's been that kind of morning but you know it's it's all good here you know all all smiles for the celtics right now and a patriots hat as well that's yeah, a, that's commitment to the bit. I know you're from your Boston native, <laughs> so you know. Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the 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 Patriots and a handful of others are like my last bastions of irrational fandom, where like it's you know I'm gonna completely lose myself and go crazy uh, on a constant basis. But yeah, it's a uh, you know it, it, it's good times. But but let's do it, man. Let's dive into some NBA. Yeah. So week one, we went through outside. We went through like small market teams. And we're kind of just giving our thoughts as we work our way through before we flow into a bit more of a normal kind of structure. Week two, we went through Eastern Conference Outsiders. So today we're going to look at a couple of Western Conference Outsiders. And one team that really shocks me that we're discussing as a conference outsider because of the success they had in the playoffs last year is the Dallas Mavericks, right? They went ahead and obviously they lose Jalen Brunson in free agency. They made that deal to move on from Chris Tapps, Paul Zingas because that duo wasn't working they're bringing Christian Wood. He hasn't really gave them what they were hoping for defensively. Seems to be struggling to cement his place in that rotation because of it. Yeah. And we're back to Luka Doncic and a few floor spaces. And unfortunately, the floor spaces aren't spacing the floor the way they should be either, for the most part. So I, w- I just wanted to get your thoughts on what's going on in Memphis. Um, sorry, what's going on in Dallas and wh- what can they be expecting this season? Yeah, the Mavs have always been Luka centric. We know this, but I think they are they've gone almost too Luka centric now. Um, it's like a whole new level, and that for me is I don't know that they're going to be at their best uh, with everything having to flow through him. You you're really feeling a lot when you watch this team. The absence of Jalen Brunson now that second creator. I, I'm a big Spencer Dinwiddie guy. He's just not necessarily giving them what 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 they they think want in that spot. I think Dinwiddie is more of a connector than he is a primary playmaker uh, where Brunson could be a primary playmaker. He could handle the scoring load off the bounce and in those moments when Luca was on the bench or if he had to miss entire games, as we saw at times in the playoffs last year. So I think that's, you know, a worry. I'll, I'll drop this in here now. I don't think Kemba Walker is going to be that guy for them. I, I really hope he is. I, I love Kemba. He's one of my favorite players in the league. Um, he's one of the best people I've ever dealt with uh, on a regular basis in the NBA. I just don't know that he is going to give them exactly what they want. It's also worrisome when the GM gives an interview and says, like, yeah, his knee is bad, and we don't know how long he'll hold up. I mean, that's not great. But then I think the other thing for the Mavs, beyond the kind of offensive bumps is they are defense has fallen off to about middle of the pack. And 
last season they were one of the best defensive teams in the league. So I think you've seen a little bit of the change in personnel and a little bit of their other other stuff um, there, and that's caused the defense to slide some. And that's that that's tough. All that said, they're they're playing a little bit better right now. I think they've yeah they've won three in a row. They're back over five hundred. Maybe they're starting to figure it out and round into what we thought they might be. But it's just not quite as smooth as I think we all hoped it would be coming into this season. And when you look at Luca, and obviously as you said, it's very heliocentric, right? Everything mm-hmm. rotates around Luca, and you kind of live or die with how that works. I know there's been a lot of chatter about him learning to play with others more, getting being better at getting off the ball and doing some work off ball. But he just needs that second running mate, right? And Brunson was kind of the right guy to have around him because of the ball handling, because of the scoring. When you look at the wing players, like THJ can do a little bit of attacking closeouts. He can hit the, uh, the pull-up free, but he's not really that guy, right? Mm-hmm. Kemba could be, but as you said, the knee issues are there. And then the only other thing, when I'm looking at this roster, I'm like, they don't really have a defensive presence in the middle. They have, like, some okay defenders, but there's no, like, proper rim protection, no one that can operate in a Roma role or be able to be a weak side helper. And then everything else just seems to need a connector as well. But obviously, with Dinwiddie being miscast, it's putting them in this weird position where they're having to slide multiple guys into roles that aren't really suited to them. I just don't understand from my perspective where they find that next piece, whether it's going to be, do, hey, do we need to kind of take our foot off the gas a little bit to try and get a draft pick that's going to be able to fill this role or do we need to wait until free agency? Um, but I will say this. I do like Josh Green as a disruptor. Yes. I think he's a high-energy guy. And one of the things I've become quite big on recently is every team that wants to contend needs one or two good disruptors that can come in and just muck it up, be havoc. We don't want it to be pretty. When you come on the floor, we really want you to disrupt what's going on. And I think he's the type of guy that they've got there that can help accentuate everyone else around them. They just don't have the right fits in place. And Wood, I'm a big Wood guy, but I just don't think he fits well with what the Mavs are trying to do at all. Yeah, I think a couple of things on that. I'm glad you mentioned Tim Hardaway Jr. because putting him back in the starting group, I think has unlocked a little bit over the last week or so for them and i think that has been huge where now you're seeing uh he and luca have such good chemistry it's almost like if we compare it to um to to uh, American football where the quarterback throws a pass, just knowing the guy will be there. He's not there yet, but he knows he'll be there. Hardaway and Luca run uh, these actions where um, Luca comes off a screen on one side of the floor and Hardaway's working off a screen on the other side of the floor. And Luca will throw it to the corner or throw it to the wing before Hardaway's there, just knowing he's going to be there. And now that's huge. He doesn't have that same chemistry with Reggie Bullock, who had been starting. And Bullock just, I mean, he can't throw the ball in the ocean right now. He can't hit anything. So I think that's a huge challenge. I think um, Josh Green, I this isn't perfect, but I think he's kind of becoming what we all hoped Matisse Thibel might might have become where he's not quite the uh, super-duper impact defender Thibel can be when he's at his best, but he's a much better offensive player. Uh, he's hitting some open shots now. He's doing a little bit off the dribble off closeouts. You see that starting to come along uh, with him, and he's really good in transition. He gets out, runs the floor. He's not afraid to attack the rim. So I think he's really starting to become uh, what we all hope that that uh, Thibel might eventually be. Then the Christian Wood part, it's – 
tricky because I love Christian Wood. I've been a huge fan of his for years going back to when the Bucks and Pelicans had him. And I didn't understand, you know, why are you waving this guy? Like, well, what is happening here? He can really play. And I think what we're seeing though is some of the limitations of him as a defender. And when you put him on second unit groups, um, he's absolutely eating on offense, but there's nothing being done to slow down those second units. So the, so basically the second unit comes in and the Mavs end up playing it kind of even, it feels like more games than it doing anything to extend a lead or take back a lead. So that, that's, that's something, you know, that that may need to rebalance, but I I think they're starting to find their way. I, I I think we're starting to see them figure some stuff out as far as fixing the roster. Who knows, right? It's, it's, there's, there's some tradable contracts there. Uh, they, they owe one more pick to the Knicks from the Porzingis deal. Um, we'll see where that goes. Uh, ultimately, um, you know, speaking of uh, Porzingis, he's playing great in Washington. It uh, looks really good. And I thought his comments recently were, I just wasn't the right guy with Luca. I, I thought that was a uh, very um, kind of uh, candid and, and telling by, by Porzingis. So yeah, I, I think, you know, Dallas is figuring it out. They're, they're starting to come. I mean, but the West is, it's such a jumbled uh, mess there from like one to like, 12 that who, who really knows who's who's what at this point in the season so all i want to say now is with christian wood as you said the, the defense just isn't there some limitations i will say that at the moment i feel like he's just empty calories like for every point every two that he's giving you or every three he's giving you on offense he's letting two or three buy him defensively so i feel like finding a defensive minded wing to put around him to help like take away a few of those limitations to ease that burden will just help you get some negative um, some positive calories into your system start bulking up a little bit and then in terms of like just to end this discussion if you was to if the if the postseason were to start today regardless of the maps um matchup do you feel like they could replicate what we saw last year or has Brunson hit them too hard Brunson um, yeah that's a really good question I, I think they could i think you're going into almost any series feeling pretty good that you may have the best player on the floor in luka Doncic, and luka is the kind of guy he can win you almost one or two games all by himself in in a playoff series against anybody but the absolute best of the best and i think when you're in that position what what that means is you get him to win a game or two by himself and now all of a sudden you're you're in the series maybe that you didn't really expect to be in. You have a hot three-point shooting night on another one, and now all of a sudden you're right there and you have a chance to, to win. So I, I think they'll be in the mix, and I, and I never really – count out a Mark Cuban team. I think he'll have Nico Harrison looking and pushing to figure out, you know, all right, can, is there something else we can add? Is there something else we can do um, to get the right guys, you know, around here and try to, you know, replicate last season and try to take that extra step and really get, you know, into real title contention. And that leads me on to the next team that we're going to have as a, a Western, which is what, okay, I'm going to premise this with saying, this team is still a Western Conference outsider, and I do not care where their seeding has them at the moment because it, I think I'm pretty sure they're first in the West right now after the Suns. <laughs> they are, yes. So, here we are talking about outsiders, <laughs> but the team's leading the Western Conference. You know what, uh, though? Uh, let me interrupt you real quick because I still think it's fair to say that because I don't think the average person thinks of this team that way. Yeah, I think that the their current level of play is slightly unsustainable. I, I think that a top five finish in the conference looks very viable for them right now, but this is a, it's an overachieving season for sure. I don't know if you'd agree there, or I think that 
top four and above is definitely an overachievement. Uh, maybe. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm stammering and stumbling because <laughs> I'm not <laughs> sure how exactly to, to put that. I, I don't know that I would put the Pelicans in the full-on uh, title contender role just yet. I certainly didn't expect that. So if that's where they land, then that is an overachievement. But to be in the mix for a home court advantage, I, I think that's maybe fair. I, I think they've been building towards that. And I think we saw signs of it last year. I always like to look with young teams or teams that are kind of coming together, which is what the Pelicans, they were a combination of a young team and a team that was coming together last season is get into the postseason and kind of take your lumps. Right. And that's what they did. They got in, they took their lumps and then it was, all right, now we kind of know what it means to, to play here. They pressed the Suns. I mean, they were right there uh, with, with them. And then I think, well, what happens is now we know what it takes, and then you can see if that carries over into the next season. My favorite, favorite example of this is those early uh, Oklahoma City teams before they made the finals, whereas like they ran up against a couple tough Spurs teams and they had a little bit of trouble. And then it was, all right, we learned, we took our lumps. Now when we're back here, now we're ready. We know what it takes to win in the playoffs. And that's what I think we're seeing with the Pelicans. I think they're also putting a priority on the regular season. They're basically saying, hey, we're going to try to win games. I, I don't, not in a bad way. It's almost become a negative, right, is to prioritize the regular season. Um, like that's a bad thing. But they're not pushing guys to play through injury. Witness Brandon Ingram is still sitting out. They're holding guys out till they're ready. But when they do take the floor, they're serious, they're focused, they're professional. They're really trying to push. And I think that that makes a massive difference, uh, you know, toward, towards winning games. Where we regularly see some teams, they did – you know, midway through the first quarter, end of the first quarter, like, ah, eh, we just don't really have it tonight. And they're content to just throw it away. New Orleans doesn't play that way. They, they need to, for a team in such a small market where football's like so big, winning games is their best way of increasing their profile within the city mm -hmm. anyway. Sure. I mean, we spoke about And having a super duper star in Zion helps too. Well, I mean, <laughs> this is one of my talking points was, I find it really interesting that in, when you look in the Eastern Conference and you've got Boston, who are top of the East and unquestionably got the best record in the league, and you know, and they're doing it all from deep. It's everything's to do with their three point shooting, their spacing, and everything. And then you look over to the Western Conference, and the team that's leading there sit twenty seventh in three point frequency. They they don't take many threes. I think it's around just under a third of their reference comes from deep. And obviously any team with Zion is going to pressure the rim, but New Orleans are doing it. What is it? A second or first in the league, right? I think they're second in the league in rim. Uh, rim yeah, frequency. I think so. I think that's right. I think it's second behind. I think Milwaukee is still first. And I think, but I don't know. And as you say, Ingram's been missing. And, you know, I, I mean, their roster construction's good. Trey Murphy's there. He can hit freeze and stuff. But it's just a, such a juxtaposition when you look at what's mm -hmm. going on over in the East versus what's happening with New Orleans in the West. And I don't know whether the reason they're putting such um, emphasis on the regular season is because they know that this current style of play in the playoffs is going to be much harder to find any form of tangible success due to how everything just gets bunched up in the half court anyway. Yeah, that could be. Um, there, there definitely could, could be something to that. One, one thing I will say too is I'd like to see them get a few more threes up per, per game. I think there are times when they overdrive the ball on some plays where it's, 
you, you had a good shot trying to create a great shot. And, you know, it's one of my favorite quotes is perfect is the enemy of good. And it's you're, you're, you're struggling every once in a while when their offense bogs down and why I say every once in a while, because it doesn't happen often, but when you see them against some of the best teams, uh, that's when it can get a little harder on them. We saw that when they played the Celtics. At times, the Celtics locked in defensively. It made it very hard on them to score because they're not always willing to take um, the shots that feel like they, they should take. So I think what what with New Orleans is, uh, one is C.J. McCollum is not shot well. Um, I Everything tells me that's a blip. That's an aberration because he's a much better shooter than he's shown this year. And then I think they, we kind of talked about it with Luca, right? They, they become a, a, you know, Luca centric offense. They become very Zion centric, um, which is fine, especially when you have Brandon Ingram out and McCollum's going through some of his struggles. But that naturally is going to lean towards playing more inside laying yeah. off two feet in the paint and those kind of things. And I, and I think that that's okay. Right. It's, it's, it's fine. I mean, the, it, it's, we, we all love three pointers, but the most efficient shot in basketball is still a layup or a dunk, right? It, it's still the best shot you can get. And if, if it's Zion, it really is because it's probably going in more often than not. So I think what, what happens with them is it's just, it's those overdrives when it's, you had a perfectly good jumper. Just take it. You don't need to, not everything needs to be pushed into the teeth of the defense, trying to find either a layup or a wide, wide open jumper. Sometimes open is good enough to take those ones, but that'll come, you know, as they, they figure it out and they're, they're still sorting through. What's impressive to me is the way they defend. Um, I didn't expect this at all from, from this group. And they just get after it. And they, other than Herb Jones, who is you know absolutely ridiculous and wonderful, and Larry Nance, I don't know that we would look at most of their guys and say, oh, yeah, that guy's a you know above average or good defender. Uh, maybe Jose Alvarado. That's probably unfair to him. But they use those guys' skills to then kind of lock in and do a lot of other things well. Now, I'm going to make another football comparison here because I know I know you love those, Adam. Um, it's like taking Herb Jones becomes almost like a shutdown corner in the NFL where it's you take you put him on the other team's best receiver, take that away, and then everybody else can kind of do do whatever it is they need to do. They use Jones in that way where it's they put him on the other teams, whoever they think is the most dangerous. It's not always the best scorer, but it might be the best playmaker. It might be somebody who's an offensive hub. They put Jones on that guy to really let him kind of take that away. And then that allows everybody else to, all right, I just need to do my job around letting him shut shut down. And then we go from there. And I, and I think that's that's the key to them being a very, very good defensive team. One of the things I'll tell you, first of all, most football references that you use will go over my head and I will flip <laughs> blankly into the screen. Um, and I'm fine with that. I'm fine yeah. because people listening are going to completely get it. And, you know, we're doing this for them, not for We'll me. get you there. <laughs> yeah, we'll get me there. What I will say is whenever there's a team that's defensively improved, one of the things I take away from that is there's a better camaraderie there. Because yes. defense is only good when the communication is good, right? You can have all the talent in the world if people aren't speaking and calling out, like, you know, who's where the screens are coming, if there's a back screen and letting each other know what's going on around them, then the defense isn't going to be, be where the talent level says it should be. So to have a team overperforming defensively just tells me that there's something there. They've found something as a unit. 
And I'm a big fan of a lot of their players as individuals. I think there's a few good in, individual guys. Again, um, Alvarado is a guy that I like to class as a disruptor. He really gets his yeah. hands on the ball. I think he's got one of the best nicknames in the NBA. Um, behind Isaiah, um, behind Beef Stew. Mm-hmm. Beef Stew is number one in the NBA for nicknames. What I would like to see more of is I'd like to see them running more actions to get guys cutting and what i mean by that is they as you said they're, they're a bit of an overdrive team but whether if you can get more probe dribbles happening and then hit a cutter like as he's already entering the paint so yeah it's an extra driving yeah it might be giving up a good shot trying to get a great shot but you're pulling guys you once the defense starts expecting that to happen consistently those frees are going to become as you said they're going to become a little bit more open because everyone starts to anticipate those secondary cuts and they start to sink in and it's something a lot of teams are doing well this year is adding those delayed cutters and from what i've seen of new Orleans this year i think i've probably watched i'd say about 12% 12% of their games, which I think is fair enough to have a bit of an idea. Um, I would like to see a few more delayed cuts there, just because when you've got Zion and the amount of the amount of kind of gravity he holds the minute he enters the paint, being able to pressure de- defences from the weak side on their shoulders, making them have to keep looking, it's really going to open up those extra passes. And that's where I feel like there's going to be value for the three-point shooters to start taking those shots. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think to... I would like to see Jonas Valanciunas go to the hoop a little bit more yeah. um, on those delayed cuts. He's become really kind of, if he sets a screen outside, he's, he's not gone. He's not going inside the arc and that's okay. Cause you need that room for Zion, for Ingram, for McCollum, uh, for some of their other guys to work inside. But I think, adding those delayed cuts or the late cut actions where he can kind of set the screen, let the gravity flow to the ball handler, then he can cut on the backside of that. I think that would open things up a little bit more, but he's an older guy now. I don't know if he can, you know, I don't know if he still has it, but once or twice a half, I would think that that would be there. And even if you drag somebody away, that's probably then going to open up a shooter somewhere on the court. And they've got enough passing on Zion. Very good passer. Uh, Brandon Ingram is an underrated passer um and their guards are all pretty good playmakers couple things on the defense they're they're the number one team in opponent three-point percentage that can be a little wonky because sometimes that can be it can be opponent shooting luck uh where you're not necessarily impacting that but but it's it's happening anyway so we'll have to keep an eye on that but two things they are very good at they don't follow a lot uh which is really important because that doesn't give away free points and they handle the glass. They, they, they really do a nice job rebounding. And that's, that one kind of stood out to me a little bit because I didn't really necessarily expect them to be quite as good on the glass as they are. Because Zion, for all the things he's really talented at, he's not a great defensive rebounder. He, he just, I don't know what it is, but with him, he just isn't. Uh, maybe he eventually will round into that. But as, as a collective, they do a really nice job getting on the boards. They've got a whole bunch of guys who will go to the glass. Their wings and their guards, even their smaller guards, are tough. They'll get in there and mix it up. And Valanchunas remains one of the better rebounders, um, you know, kind of per minute in the league for what he is. And and it's so funny to watch them at times because Zion, the high flyer, can't get the boards. Valanchunas can't jump over a piece of paper and he's still <laughs> pulling them down. Right. Like it's 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 just, you know, but rebounding's about position more often than, than it is about anything else. And he's very good at that. One thing I like for the Valanchunas saying, like, you know, if he's not able to cut the way that you'd like to see him cut is to put him in more like 
It's very prevalent in the Euro League. I see it happen in the NBA a couple of times, maybe a week. Um, is to put him in grenade actions, which is just where you give him the ball down at the bottom of the ba- um, towards the baseline, ask him to dribble directly up to the top of the perimeter and initiate the handoff. So then he's they call it a grenade because it blows up the defensive coverage, right? It just opens driving lanes everywhere. Yeah. And doing that itself, and then having Valanciunas as that pop guy coming off the handoff, waiting for the defense to follow the ball handler and being there for the free, that's another way to utilize Valanciunas's skill set if you're not comfortable asking him to roll to the room a bunch so that's just i mean i'm a big fan of this guy I, I remember spending hours thinking of ways boston could use him and ways <laughs> that he so I, I can speak about ways to utilize valentunas for a while uh we'll move on though it's time for our real or not segment this is probably my favorite segment of the, of the show at the moment i do like these it's that quick fire round so reggie bullock shooting struggles you mentioned it you alluded to it earlier real or not uh, I'm going to say not just because I think the, the history tells us it isn't when, when we're still we're approaching a third of the way into the season. So, so you do have to start to to look at some things more as all right, that probably is real. Um, but what I do is I, I leave that for team based stuff uh, like all right, I'm going to buy into the Pelicans. Like, I feel like this is real uh, with individual players. I still think it's such a small sample size. And in the case of Reggie Bullock, we have literally thousands of, um, you know, three, three point shots to look at. And he's a 38% three point shooter for his career. He's at 28% this year on 98 shots. So I'm not going to, I, I, I think that'll come back around and he's probably not going to get up into the high thirties just because he's had such a slow start. But I think one thing that is a little like, yeah, I don't know. Like he's become basically all he does now is shoot threes. And if this is real, you can't be a three and D player without the three part of that, you know, so it, does, it doesn't work. So he's going to have to figure that out if he wants to continue to get minutes. Yeah. Otherwise you just Frank Nitkalina, except about yeah. 10 years old. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. You're kind of like Herb Jones, but without the all world, all NBA defense level play or all defense level play. Next one up. And I was going to ask a question about Herb. Then I was going to say, can you think of, would you say that Herb Jones is, I'm going to, would you say Herb Jones is one of the best points of attack defenders in the league? Yes, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, I, it's. I think it's his defensive versatility. You can. He. He is. He is becoming as close to what Ben Simmons was at his peak as we have in the league right now, where you can put him on anybody and you can just say, "Go, do do your thing." Um, with that, he, he he's not quite as big as Simmons, so he doesn't he doesn't necessarily defend the fives like the way Simmons could. But anybody, you know, one through four. Yeah, you put them on them, and that's going to be a weapon in the playoffs because yeah. they're gonna they're gonna they, let's say they play the Suns again. I wouldn't be surprised if they. Yeah, I know the natural match of everybody's going to think is put him on Devin Booker, but I wouldn't be surprised if you see him matched up occasionally on Chris Paul. Just kind of cut the head off the snake there. Don't even let it get get moving. Don't even let things things start flowing with them. I think if they get the Warriors, I think his best matchup with the Warriors is Stephen Curry. Put put him on Curry and live with the resulting other stuff because you could put McCollum or Alvarado or even Graham on Clay Thompson because Clay Clay used to back those guys into the mid post and shoot that fadeaway over them he doesn't really do that anymore so you, you can get away with a smaller defender stash on him or even at times if they can if they're willing to put their body on the line you could get away with smaller guys on um, 
on Draymond or uh, uh, Looney. Okay, they just have to be willing to bang and keep them off the boards. But yeah, they're, they're, there's a lot of defensive versatility there for Herb Jones. New York, we're going to turn our heads to the Eastern Conference for a moment. Coach Tibbs, his, is his coaching position being under threat real or not real? I think it's real. I, I think uh, we're now in year two of some level of struggles to be a 500 team. I think you know everybody got excited a couple of years ago when they were, I believe they were the four seed um, and they, they had home court advantage and they lost to, to the Hawks that year. But but it was all like, all right, we're here now. We're, we're, we're ready to push forward uh, with this group. And then I think what's happened the last couple of years is it's, uh, yeah, a couple of years ago was kind of a fluke and now we're here. Now, I don't think we've talked about this before. I think you and I did. I don't think they've necessarily given him the best roster uh, for what he wants to be, but I mean, you got to make it work with what you've got. Now I will say he's going to go out doing it the way he wants to do it. Right. He's taken 40 out of the rotation just in the last week or so. He's removed Derek Rose and Cam Reddish from the rotation. So he's basically saying, Hey, I'm going to lock in with guys who get after it and defend. So we'll, we'll, we'll see where it goes. But yeah, a little, little, uh, but little curious with you know seeing see where where this goes. Jalen Brown's current All NBA form, real or not real? Real, hundred percent real. This is um, you you say I'm Celtics bias is creeping in here. It's just the things he's doing offensively now are so good. Um, I don't want to overreact to this three game stretch in a hundred plus minutes with one turnover, but. That's great stuff out of him because he had been sitting uh, for a little while. He was on the negative side of assist to turnover ratio. Um, and then he was basically sitting at a one-to-one um, and he still kind of is, but you know, when you see, all right, he can do this. And this is against three teams that were focused on like, let's get into guys' bodies. Let's get physical. Let's do those things. Scoring wise, he's you know off the charts. Now he's kind of doing everything. And one sneaky thing is he's not shooting the three great yet. Like if that ticks back up to where it's been the last couple of years, now you're you're talking another guy who's going to be you know pushing thirty points per game. I, I I think it's real, and you know I think he falls asleep defensively. Uh, I'll you know tales from our uh, Celtics blog Slack. Uh, you and I have been kind of on that. I think more than anybody else uh, uh, on our crew over there is you know he's he's off ball. He just is like he goes off to La La Land or something, and, and then guys back cut him. But I think when Rob Williams is back, that becomes less of a noticeable thing. Um, and then what you can do is I think at that point, he'll trust that he has him. And then that's when you'll see Jalen, I think, and a lot of the other guys, you'll start to see some of those gambles for steals come back out and that'll get them out in transition and those kind of things. They're, they're, I, I think Jalen Brown's going to be right there. Now, big thing, keep winning, keep winning at this clip and stay at the top of the conference makes it a lot easier to get two guys on the all NBA team. And then we're talking supermaxes in the summer. Oh yeah, yep, yeah, and, without a doubt. I mean that that'll be done if he makes All NBA July first. Yo, it'll be or July, June thirtieth when they can offer it. Now that we we switched free agency to opening, then it'll be offered and, and no players turned it down yet. So uh, my my guess is we'll see him absolutely sign that. And, you know, then then we then we move on from there and we can stop all the stupidity of split up Brown and Tatum and all that other dumb nonsense that comes out. 
In fairness, if you handed me a lottery ticket with like $240 million, I'm not turning it down. No, right? I know. I know. Yeah, it's so funny when people are like, you know, it's funny. I think right now, I, I, Adam, I'm going to turn you into an American if I can. I know you, you would like to be anyway, but I'm going to get you there. Um, I'm going to go baseball. People are getting all fired up about uh, some of these baseball contracts. And then it's like, oh, you know, Aaron Judge bet on himself and made this much more. I bet that's what Jalen Brown's doing. No, Jalen Brown's just simply not eligible yet. If he was, the Celtics would gladly sign him to you know the biggest contract they could, could today. It just can't happen the way the NBA rules work. So this isn't a necessarily a bet-on-himself type of proposition. So we'll, we'll see where that goes. On the plus side, I understood when you said Aaron Judge. So we're, nice. going, we're getting there slowly. All right, next one, last one. Real or not, Miami Heat, they're bad at the moment. Is this real or is this not? I'm afraid it might be more real than it isn't. Um, I, I don't know how you fix being old, um, if if I can put it that way. I just don't know where they're going to go. I mean, Jimmy Butler's at the stage of his career where 60, 65 games is probably the max he's going to play. Um, Kyle Lowry stayed healthy all of this season, but he missed extensive time last year. Uh, some of that was due to a personal situation, but um, there, there continues to be a lot of stuff about is Kyle Lowry in shape? Is he not in shape? All those kind of things there. Um, their size is is terrible. It's Bam Adebayo and nobody else because uh, Dwayne Dedman, I'm like whatever fine if you want to throw him in that mix but i mean it's bam having to do everything and that's part of why i want to say they they are giving up more two-point shots than anybody else uh in the entire league now they're limiting three-point attempts which is great um with that they don't ever foul so that's good um they, 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 they're doing a good job on the boards. Um, so you can feel good about a lot of those things. Um, it's really the offense though, where I look at, it, I'm just like, what, like, I don't know how you fix this. Um, <laughs> you know, it's just, you know, they, where, where are you going? Like it's, you know, you, you need, it's weird. They, you could see when Boston played them in that mini series, you could see in both of those two games, they didn't really want to have Tyler hero on the floor at the end of the game. But you have to because otherwise your offense is so messy. Um, so it starts to become, all right, well, what's the other option than having Hero and Struess? And, yes, Miami did win one of those two games. But you could see Boston was very content to, or right, we're going to work the ball around, then we're going to find Hero or Struess, and we're going to go at them. And it got to the point where Eric Spolster had to go offense defense with Hero because um, he just doesn't hold up. But you need him on the floor because the offense is messy. So I, I'm just not sure, you know, but it's Pat Riley. Um it wouldn't be surprised if something comes out of nowhere to, you know, all of a sudden shore things up and, and it looks a little bit better, but that may be more of an off season thing than it is an in season thing. I mean, we did have that rumor pop up from five reasons sports about uh, Miami being interested in grant and it being mutual. And yeah, I, I've, I just, I've took it like, no, because who are you going to give up? Yeah, exactly. Well, they have nothing that, that, that would interest the Celtics. So that's the, the challenge. Moving on, we're going to go to eye catchers now. This is uh, slowly turning into our scouting portion, but <laughs> obviously we leave it till last because it's one of the best. So one of the first guys that caught my eye, um, one of the things that really I like about him is, one, he could feasibly be in running for Rookie of the Year. He should be in that discussion. He should also be in the discussion for Sixth Man of the Year. I've got him third at the moment um, behind Brogdon and Westbrook, and that's uh, Benedict Mafferin. 
And then obviously we had that big breakout from second round draft pick Andrew, and I always butcher his name, Nembhard. Yep, Nembhard, um, you got it. You're on. So Indiana, two guys, two young guys. Matherin for me is just everything you wanted Aaron Neesmith to be, but with yep. a lot more poise, a lot more controls, a better defense. Uh, and then Nembhard is literally just a ball of energy that can score the ball and he can really, really handle that rock and distribute. So two big pickups, both caught my eye this week. Uh, have you, have you seen much of them this week? Yeah, I did. Cause I, I watched them in that entire warriors game, uh, which is a game. Um, I believe Halberton did not play in at all. If I remember right, but that, that turned into the Andrew Nemhard show. Like he just, you know, it did much like how Halberton can completely control a game. Nemhard was like, all right, I got it. I'll go. He was the only ball handler that they had that night um, on, on the on, available. All their other guard, TJ McConnell was out. Uh, Halliburton was out. So it really turned into, all right, this is the Andrew Nemhard show. And he showed up. And this this is a kid who was, he was a big time recruit. Started out at the University of Florida. So I saw him play some in college uh, down here because it's not too far from where, where I am. And if I want to go see super high level college, that tends to be where I go to. Um and it just never really fully worked. Then he went to Gonzaga, you know, was was good, was fine, but overshadowed by a handful of other guys in that program. Um, now you're seeing him in the NBA. Just, just he it it's this is so impressive for me with rookies. He doesn't try to do anything he can't do. He just plays poised, under control, doing what he wants, gets to his spots, plays pretty good off the ball. Um, I think he's shooting a little over his head right now. I don't know that he's really a, I think he's almost a 42% three point shooter. So that's a little bit much. Um, I, I don't know if that will, will hold for him, but I do think um, the ability to play alongside Halliburton is really big. Um, I think Halliburton knows how to play with other guards, other ball handlers, other playmakers, because that's what he did in his first few years in the league with Sacramento. So I think that's really building. And then Matherin, I mean, the, the dude showed up to summer league and was like, I'm going to be one of the best players in the league. Right? And that's, I love that stuff. But I think some people take that the wrong way. Get, give me dudes overflowing with confidence any day. Like, as long as it doesn't get stupid, and it hasn't, you know. And now what's funny with him is he hasn't shot it great inside the arc. His finishing's been a little off. And that sometimes takes a little while for for, for a younger player to realize, like, all right, hey, this is the NBA now. Just because I blew by my guy, there's going to be one or two dudes waiting for me at the rim. It's not college or high school anymore, you know, with that. And I think that'll pick up. I mean, I, I kind of like what you said with, with Neesmith. I just, he's, he's, a, he's more athletic than Neesmith is. He is more off the dribble game uh, than Neesmith does. Those two guys are a lot of fun, man. And that Pacers team, they're not going away. They're, they're, they're going to stick around. And I, 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 I'm not going to say they're going to get, get in the top six and definitely in the playoffs, but they're going to, they're going to stick around for sure. Oh, they're set for the future as well now. We've got Nempard, we've got Halliburton. Yeah. Uh, Neesmith's starting to show that he can stick around there a long, to- uh, long time. Mafferin. Um, I'd like to see them figure out a younger big man because Miles Turner just doesn't fit the timeline anymore. But that's for a discussion on another Yeah, I, I will say with the Turner pieces, I don't want to go too far. I think we get too too focused on trying to fit timelines sometimes and i get it when it's you know like al horford wouldn't make sense with that team right now but turner's 27 it's not he's not 32 right he's not 34 i think you know 
I, I think they're going to renegotiate and extend Turner using all that leftover cap space. I've written extensively. I won't take any of the time here. Go look it up on Spot Track if you're interested. I wrote a whole long article about why that's probably the play uh, for Turner and the Pacers. So um, if you just Google Keith Smith, Miles Turner, Spot Track, um, you'll, you'll find it very easily. Um, but yeah, that, that Pacers team is, is uh, well, one of the absolute uh, pleasant surprises of the season. Also, go to Google Trends and just Google Trend Keith Smith. I want, I'm really interested how many times he's been there. Um, yeah, I don't know about all that. Fair <laughs> point about Miles Turner. I will leave it there. That's something that I kind of I do get. I do fall into that a little bit much. If I see a team building around a bunch of 21, 22 year olds, I'm like, I, if you've got vets or older guys, I'd like them to be your bench and then maybe plug and play sure. one older dude. So maybe I'm falling a bit too far into that. So that's complete. That's a fair, um, a fair rebuttal. Next guy on the eye catchers list, and I've even put this in um, brackets as duh, is Anthony Davis. Uh, <laughs> the dude's just balling out right now. I mean, yeah. I feel sorry. Like if Jason Tatum loses out on MVP because Anthony Davis remembered that he was one of the best players on the planet, I'm going to be really, really upset. Because AD could have thought about that next season, last season. He didn't have to choose this year. But he's playing phenomenal, phenomenal basketball. I think as long as uh, the Celtics stay 10 games clear of the Lakers and the standings, I don't know that that's uh, a thing we need to worry about. But Anthony Davis is, you know, this is as good as he's ever played. You know, this is better than Bubble Davis. This is uh, – probably better than Pelicans Davis. He's been, um, he, it's, it's weird for a player this good. You, you call them disruptors. He's an absolute disruptor on defense. Cause he, he can, he can for a big, he can basically single-handedly destroy whatever it is you're trying to do because he can switch out to the perimeter, hold his own out there. He's great at cleaning up messes inside for his teammates. Sometimes he's really good at just, you know, handling those straight line drives and, you know, taking shots away at the rim. So yeah, he's playing absolutely phenomenal. The question is, is he going to hold up? That's, that's all it really comes down to with Anthony Davis is, you know, can he continue to carry this heavy of a load play this well, and hold up for you know 50 plus more games because if he can the lakers are probably going to be in the play-in maybe the playoff mix if he can't then you know it's kind of you look at it like well that was a fun couple months and now we're right back where we were once again with him and then we're sitting here and i said this to you on a group chat where i was like uh i don't have chat where I was like, do you know what? I want to talk about the Lakers, but I don't want to talk about them too much. But we definitely have to be cognizant of the fact that this team is really struggling without AD at the moment. Uh, when he's not on the floor, they struggle. Final one on the eye catches is a team I haven't seen much of recently. So I'm going to leave this one all to you. It's the Grizzlies non-stars. You've got Santi Aldama, David Ruddy, and Tyus Jones. I, I do have a few friends that are big Tyus Jones guys. Yeah, and I'm going to zip through this pretty quick um, here just to, to keep it short. But we know John Moran. We know Jaron Jackson Jr. is back. We know what Desmond Bain can do. Unfortunately, three to four more weeks without Desmond Bain. That's a little rough. Um, then we kind of all love Steven Adams for everything he brings. And I think a lot of people have started to realize, like, hey, Dylan Brooks is the number one irrational confidence dude in the entire league. Like, he is 100% convinced no matter who is matched up against him, I'm better than that guy, and I'm going to I'm gonna shut him down, and I'm going to score on him whenever I need to. And that that's great. You need guys like that. But Santi Aldama, who looked like an 
absolute waste of a first round pick last season showed up at summer league and was like, Ooh, wait a second here. There might be a little something. And then the Grizzlies said, you know what? You think that was cool? How do, how about this? Jaron Jackson jr. Misses the first month or so of the season. We're just going to start Santi Aldama. We're just going to throw him in there alongside Steven Adams. And not only did he hold his own played really, really well. So there's, there's something there. He can play that kind of gives them that fourth big in that grouping because they want to keep Adams minutes down. They want to be careful with Jaron Jackson jr. Brandon Clark's obviously fantastic third big. They've done well when they've had the fourth guy. Well, the fourth guy now in the mix, that's Santi Aldama. Uh, Tyus Jones, this one can be very quick. The best non-starting point guard in the entire NBA for, for my money is Tyus Jones. I know some people will be like, wait, what about Malcolm Brogdon? And Brogdon, to me, has always been more of a combo guard than he is a true point guard. He's played extensively on and off the ball. But Tyus Jones, true point guard. Um, the fact that Memphis has him, that is unbelievable. Because anytime it's, all right, Jaws kind of feeling a little, nope, sit. You're out. Like I don't even. I don't even want to know what what he's feeling. Sick. Your ankles tweaked. Nope. You said we've got Tyus Jones. Where we're gonna run, run with him. And the fact that he's shooting the ball as well as he is, that allows them to play those two guys a little bit together. And some of the best offenses in the league now run those dual ball handler lineups where you can you kind of always have a creator, an attacker off the bounce. And then David Roddy. If you just go and look at his stats right now. They're not very good. Everybody's going to be like, what in the world Like with this? But it's it's all about context. So let's look at over the last couple of weeks, starting to figure stuff out a little bit here. We're starting to see him kind of settle into, all right, I'm a, I was a six-foot-five power player in college. I probably can't be that in the NBA, but I can find my spots. I can get to some shots. I can I'm pretty rugged defensively. I can really hold up two through four against most guys. And then if I do get a smaller guy, as long as I go quick enough, I can kind of handle that guy inside. So just keep, keep an eye on him. That's kind of what the eye catcher section is about is we're going to throw out some guys like, Hey, this guy kind of popped for me. Okay. Keep an eye on those guys. So the Grizzlies on stars, they're making it happen. I said it was going to be short. It absolutely wasn't. Cause that's what I did. Yeah, I mean, we're not meant to be short. If we were doing it short, no one would want to tune in and listen to the opinions. It's true. Good point. It's true. That pretty much wraps us up for this week. Uh, as we said, we're trying to go through it section by section. So now we'll be moving on to the Eastern Conference contenders next week, then the Western Conference contenders, and then we'll kind of go from there and probably do a little bit more flitting around the league than what we have done in, in the first few episodes. If you've enjoyed the show, Please make sure to hit that subscribe button. Follow Keith at Keith Smith NBA. I'm 99.9% sure you're following him already. He's got the follow account of a small city. Um, and then if you do want to follow me for any reason whatsoever, at Adam Taylor NBA on Twitter and Instagram. Keith, as always, man, it's been a pleasure. Absolutely. I appreciate it.